Well, thank you all for joining us. This is the Fats, Fuels, and Oils forecast for the new year, starting uh, the week here of January 4th, 2021. Today, I have Tori Alden with us, and he's going to go over his update section, which is the veg oils forecast. And if you have any questions, go ahead and drop them in the Q&A section. We'll get to them at the end of Tori's presentation. Um, you can drop them in there at any time. With that, Tori, you want to take it from here? Yep. Thanks, George. I hope everybody had a, a happy and joyous holiday season. Um, soybean oil prices certainly have had a happy and joyous holiday season. They've continued to rally along with soybean futures uh, on concerns of South American production. And really South American production is kind of, it's, it's kind of split now. Uh, if you look at the outlook for Brazil, it's, it's generally supportive. There was obviously some damage done to the crop early in the crop year, but I think to the extent that, uh, or at least as long as the forecast continues along its current trend through pod filling, um, whatever potential is in the crop or is left in the crop will probably be realized. In Argentina, it's, it's a bit of a different story where uh, they have not had sort of a shift towards more frequent and in, in more typical rainfall. And so the Argentine crop sort of continues to uh, potentially lose um, yield. That's really important because it implies, if, if you look out over the summer, it implies that U.S. soybean exports could be maybe 100 million bushels bigger than current expectations. And given where predictions are for carryout, we don't really have another 100 million bushels of, of soybeans to export. So that's why you've seen the, the rapid appreciation in soybean futures and, and then in soybean oil futures uh, over the last two weeks. Then on top of that, soybean oil and, and veg oils in general have their own bullish setup with uh, Malaysian palm oil stocks at multi-year lows and, and demand from China remaining relatively strong. You can see or, or you may note this week that the Jacobson's forecasts uh, that have changed pretty dramatically over this, this past two week period. Um, part of that is because our outlook for soybean prices has, has risen pretty dramatically. Um, and we think that uh, soybean futures, nearby soybean futures could potentially rise above $15 uh, before the U.S. crop is planted. Um, I think even if the U.S. crop is, is planted and, and we get trendline yields out of soybeans, unless we get a really big shift in acreage, uh, you probably are going to be looking at high prices until we get to uh, the planting next year in, in South America. So with that in mind, we raised our, our forecast for, for soybean prices and then uh, for soybean oil prices with soybean oil prices potentially peaking above uh, 50 cents in July before um, we assume normal, normal US production uh, drives prices lower along with soybeans. Um, but then that tick up that you see there at the end is, is driven by um, the start of the wave of demand from renewable diesel producers and, and renewable diesel facilities coming online. 
And that we think then tightens up soybean oil stocks pretty dramatically and uh, starts a new leg higher in soybean oil prices. The ultimate size of that second rally will depend in part on, on where soybean prices go. So uh, soybean, I, I expect that soybean oil will divorce itself a little bit from soybean prices. Um, once we start to see this big wave of renewable diesel demand. But um, if soybean prices, if, if the U.S. crop is big and then people expect South American production to be record big um, and soybean prices fall back to $9, then it's uh, even if soybean oil sort of divorces itself, that decline in soybean prices and in vegetable seed or uh, oil seed prices in general will weigh on soybean oil and ultimately cap the the rally at, at some point. It's really difficult to say at this point where where that might be because of course we don't even really know where um, soybean prices will be. Over the last week and well really yesterday we got um, the monthly fats and oils report from USDA. And in general, the report was uh, in line with, with what we were thinking based on, on the NOPA report. You can see the data for November. Um, domestic usage remained relatively strong based on, on our assumption for uh, trade flows. We expect that uh, the increase in prices is probably going to weigh on, on domestic usage a bit in December and in January um, before it starts to climb again based in part on um, new renewable diesel capacity coming online in the first quarter of, of 2021. And then you can see it, it rises pretty steadily uh, through the end of, of the marketing year. The big question about this is how will uh, the domestic usage be split and whether the, the new biofuel demand will crowd out uh, demand from non-biofuel users. And we have non-biofuel use remaining around a billion, maybe a little bit below a billion, a little bit above a billion pounds for uh, through the early summer and then, uh, or through, I guess, the second quarter and then rising a bit um, through the balance of the marketing year and peaking at a little bit over 1.1 billion pounds. I was talking to somebody yesterday about the idea of non-biofuel usage and the potential strength or the potential for biofuel um, producers to crowd out non-biofuel users. And we were talking about the low CI feedstocks, but I think in general, the, the same sort of analysis applies to soybean oil. Um, if you think about the cost structure for a lot of the products that soybean oil goes into, um, that aren't biofuel related, obviously. The, the percentage of the total cost structure that's represented by soybean oil is, is relatively small. And for some of these products, the, the margins are, are quite high. And so our outlook for non-biofuel usage might be a little bit pessimistic. Um, if it is, I think it probably comes at the expense of, of exports. Right now, where with world 
fundamentals where they are, it's tough to take exports down because again, the, the spread between palm oil and, and soybean oil fell to new fresh lows uh, on Monday when soybean oil prices and declined and palm oil prices jumped. That's part of the reason, in addition to the huge rally in soybean prices, the, um, the big rally in soybean oil prices today is driven in part by soybean oil kind of catching up to palm. I thought palm might come down a little bit overnight, but it didn't. Um, and so I think that uh, in, the, in the short term, export demand is gonna remain really strong. By the time that we get to the end of 2021, um, I think we'll have a much better idea about how much the biofuel producers are able to sort of crowd out the non-biofuel uh, usage and whether that theory is correct that non-biofuel use end users can really pay up for um, much more for soybean oil than biofuel users can. And in that case, like I said, my inclination would be to reduce exports. And I, that's what we do in our, in our longer term forecasts. Um, but that leads to the question of, of what's going to replace that. Of course, if South American production comes back, particularly in Argentina, Argentina can export quite a bit of, of soybean oil. Um, but then the wild card, I think, in that is, is Chinese demand. If you look at the Chinese uh, vegetable oils balance sheet, um, their domestic demand is growing pretty rapidly. And so as long as that continues, I think it's going to continue to pressure world vegetable oil markets and not leave um, a lot of slack in, in the uh, supply that can be used in, in other areas. Um, and so really by the time that we get into 2022, I think by the time that we're sitting here next year, um, the puzzle is going to be exactly how we allocate the supply of, of soybean oil from the U.S. between exports um, biofuels and, and non-biofuel and how much we can draw stocks down to sort of accommodate the demand in, in all three areas. Of course, that's the always the challenge um, when we try to put balance sheets together. Um, but typically there's, there's enough slack that we can kind of draw stocks down a little bit one year or, or draw exports down once a, a little bit one year. Um, I think by the end of, of 2021, I think that's gonna become a much more difficult challenge. Uh, we got the same um, the same data for uh, canola oil from the USDA. Uh, there are no big surprises in the in the canola oil um, data for uh, for November. You can see our our forecast here for canola oil is a little bit different. It comes down a little bit. Um, that is in part based on the way that we forecast canola oil prices and in particular this canola oil price. So this canola oil price we, we forecast based on cash soybean oil prices. And my suspicion here is that um, 
that soybean oil basis probably tends to be weaker at this time of the year because obviously we've just harvested and this is typically when crush is the greatest and um, in supply is the greatest relative to demand. Um, and so I think in, in we use that historical data to, to try and forecast the canola oil prices. I think if I were just sort of drawing this freehand, I think I would probably um, not have canola oil prices come down quite so much, maybe flat to a little bit higher. Um, and then obviously building um, as we go through the year along with, um, with soybean oil prices. The one thing, I guess, the last thing that I wanted to say about soybean oil before I sort of, of move on that I kind of forgot to, to say earlier is if you look at what we're expecting for soybean oil stocks, you can see we expect stocks to continue to build in into April and then to tighten pretty dramatically as, as U.S. crush slows seasonally. Um, and based on that sort of pickup in non-biofuel demand that we're forecasting, um, in our prior price forecasts, uh, we had soybean oil kind of flattish to maybe even a little bit down in the first quarter based on this idea that uh, stocks were going to continue to build into um, April. And now obviously with what we've seen over the last couple of weeks and expectations for um, Argentine production, I think that the market is is more concerned about where we're going to get soybean oil after South American harvest is done um, than it is about sort of the the stocks level for uh, soybean oil right now. And I think that's probably going to remain true um, until we start to draw stocks down. And then once we start to draw stocks down, then that will become a big focus. And that is the point where potentially uh, soybean oil prices could start to divorce themselves from um, soybean prices, especially if, if crop conditions in the U.S. this year are supportive of, of trendline yields or, or better than um, trendline yields going forward. For palm oil, really what I'll, I'll say is that um, we are, uh, next week we get the monthly data from the Malaysian Palm Oil Board and um, we are expecting a, a fairly big drawdown in, in stocks. As I was writing the palm oil commentary last night, um, you know, it's, it's tough to forecast a, a drawdown in stocks that, um, is really sort of historically large, or at least from a month over month perspective is, is kind of historically big. But given what we've seen so far from cargo surveyor data, which suggests that exports are up 20% from uh, November. And given the fact that there's been some recent flooding in, in Malaysia, um, so, rising production is is going to be tough um, for that reason and also because the of the coronavirus I've had more difficulty getting sort of migrant labor to come in and and actually harvest palm um, I think that it the potential for that drawdown is is bigger than I would typically expect I, I think typically I would kind of say, at this point, you know, this is kind of what the numbers are saying based on on what we're seeing. It wouldn't surprise me if if 
stocks came in higher than than our expectation and it and it wouldn't necessarily surprise me if that happened again here um but i think that there is a uh a better than usual chance that we get a a sort of surprisingly large drawdown in in palm oil stocks and if that were to happen then um i think palm oil prices and and soybean oil prices would it would only add fuel to the fire really um and there, that trend is going to continue until we get to the seasonal low in, in production in, in February or, or March. Um, I think it will, I think the month over month decreases in, in stocks will slow down because I think exports will probably slow uh, kind of dramatically, especially if, if flooding continues to hamper production. Um, but palm oil stocks are probably going to fall uh, pretty pretty dramatically here over the next several months and fall to levels that we haven't seen in, in a long, long time since probably the last time that we had some severe flooding in, in Malaysia and that really hampered production. To switch and just run through uh, biodiesel really quickly, um, the one thing that I highlighted in the commentary was um, the hobo spread. And the hobo spread, because of the big rally in, in vegetable oil prices, rose to a new high. If you look at our forecast for the hobo spread, we expect that it probably kind of continues to rise here in, in the short term. Um, but we think that uh, as vaccine distribution becomes more widespread, it probably gives some room for energy prices to rise and probably brings the hobo spread back down a little bit. We've been thinking that for a little while. Um, but with the first with the first people actually getting vaccinated, I think it's it's kind of easier to see that that is potentially going to happen at, at some point here. And so um, our timing might be a little bit off and the hobo spread may rise a little bit more than we are expecting. Um, but I think again, if by the time that we're sitting here next year, uh, I think the hobo spread will probably be more in line with the long run historical average than it is certainly uh, right now. Of course, if, if the US doesn't produce a crop next year or if, if South American prospects this year and then again next year aren't great, um, then all bets are off. But uh, again, based on just sort of normal production out of the US and normal production out of South America, this is kind of what we would expect. In gross margin forecast, um, we are predicting, you know, maybe a little bit of a tick down here uh, with soybean oil prices and, and feedstock prices rising a little bit more than, than energy prices over the next several months. Um, that's kind of what we've been been predicting for a little little while, um, and you can see that that in general um, margins have been pretty flat for uh, since we've had the the big disruption and um, due to COVID in the spring. And I would what I would really say about this forecast is we just kind of expect that trend to continue for. Uh, LCFS credit prices. Um, oh, this chart didn't. Something happened here. Hmm. There we go. Um, 
LCFS credit prices, they have rallied a little bit in the, you know, in the last uh, quarter or so of, of 2020, but then they've started to come down. We think that that trend probably kind of continues relatively slowly. We don't expect a, a big decrease, but certainly as, as more renewable diesel capacity comes online, um, I think that's probably going to tend to weigh on LCFS credit prices uh, going out through the end of 2021. And with that, George, I'll, I'll turn it over for a question. Oh, I, let me, I'm oh, sorry, George. One last thing I'd like to say just about this chart, this uh, hobo spread versus uh, domestic biodiesel production. You can see this is not the, uh, the best correlated chart that I've ever seen in my life. Um, but there has been some trends uh, this year where um, uh, production does seem to have fallen into sort of one or, or of, of two sort of camps kind of. Um, we had sort of the summer production up on this line and that's through October. This is based on the EIA data. And then we had uh, the COVID and shortly after COVID production down along this line. If you look at the October data from the EMTS, it's really more down along this line. There was sort of a uh, an historic difference, or not a historic difference. There was a relatively large monthly difference between what the EMTS data implied and what the EIA data implied for um, October. And that shifted October production from this orange line up to the yellow line. We don't expect that that trend is going to continue. And so we expect that um, we've got obviously EMTS data for November. We don't have it for December yet. Um, we expect that uh, EMTS for December and EIA for December will fall along the orange line because of the, um, the level of the hobo spread. Again, maybe the EIA um, data will reflect something different and shift November higher. In that case, we might move our, our number for December up a little bit, um, but until we get sort of another confirmation of a big difference between the EMTS or, or a non-typical non difference between the EMTS and the EIA, we're gonna leave the December uh, number where it is. Okay. And with that, I will open it up for questions, George. All right, thanks, Tori. Uh, so if anybody has questions, go ahead and drop them in the Q&A section. Uh, we have a few questions starting off here, Tori, is what would be the biggest bullish and bearish surprise for 2021 for the veg oils market? Uh, so to start off, I guess, with some some easy and, and sort of maybe obvious surprises, um, if that makes sense. Uh, I think probably the most bearish sort of surprise would be if the EPA were to grant a significant number of um, exemptions, of SRE exemptions, uh, and reduced the mandate through SRE exemptions uh, more than expected. Right now, we're not expecting any real um, any real exemptions and we expect that the mandate will uh, need to be met either from production or, or obviously from RINs that have been carried over from prior years. Um, so I think that would probably be the biggest bearish surprise. 
Um, on the bullish side, I think that um, I, I I think it would be if we have another year of below trend production in the U.S. and in in South America. So not only sort of the South American crop that's growing right now, but but next year's South American crop. Um, I think that would probably be the thing that uh, could potentially drive um, soybean oil prices up higher than uh, than people would be expecting. I, again, I don't know that I think that's a, a big surprise. Um, I guess maybe another big potentially bullish surprise would be if the um, new administration were to substantially raise the uh, the mandates when they are finally announced, um, that would be a big bullish surprise. Um, but I think probably the the production thing, if you look at uh, if you look at the long term drought monitor right now, we are setting up sort of in the same way that we set up uh, in 2012. If people remember that summer, we came into that summer with a with a pretty healthy drought in the Western United States. And this year looks a lot like that. Um, that drought kind of ultimately crept into the Midwest in July and uh, soybean prices shot up to, I think their highest level um, maybe ever that, that summer. Um, and so with the with the soil moisture set up like that, um, it's not it wouldn't necessarily be a, a big surprise. I think there's some potential for that to happen. Um, but it certainly would be the thing that would uh, that would drive prices the highest, I believe. OK, uh, the next question I have is there a point where Chinese soybean imports and crush reach a level that reduces their veg oil imports and creates some slack in the world vegetable oil supplies. Um, so that one is a little bit tough. So China has obviously imported record number record volumes of, of soybeans uh, starting really last spring as their um, hog herds started to recover from African swine uh, fever. And you would have thought that if the, the imports of soybeans were going to sort of fix the hole in the, in the Chinese balance, vegetable oil balance sheet, that we would be close to that point or, or at that point kind of already, especially given the volumes that they've taken then from the U.S. after um, after clearing out a lot of uh, South American supplies. Um, if you look at the Chinese vegetable oil balance sheet, what you see is is kind of domestic demand growing really, really quickly and supply growing, but not nearly as quickly. Part of that is due to part of the supply problem is due to the um, tension between the Chinese and Canadian governments and the reduction that they have, the resulting re reduction in, in canola seed and canola oil imports um, into China from Canada. But that's not the whole story. I, th I think that, um, that their demand is just growing at a pace that it's going to be kind of tough to 
for them to catch up. I think even if tomorrow uh, the Chinese government and Canadian government sat down and solved all of their problems, um, it would be difficult for Canada to export enough canola seed or canola oil to fix the Chinese balance sheet. Um, now, next year, maybe that would be a little bit different if we get a big shift in, in acreage in Canada from wheat to canola, which I would, I would completely expect given the fact that one, Canadian producers just grew up a huge wheat crop, and um, two, we're predicting that, uh, that Canadian um, canola seed stocks continue to tighten um into 2021 20, uh dropping down to 1.3 million tons from from 3.1 million tons at the end of of 2019-20 um so i think it would be tough for uh canada to export enough canola uh in the short term to solve china's problem now 21-22 maybe uh, again, if you get a big shift in, in Canadian acreage, um, then potentially they could produce enough that they could sort of, with really strong soybean imports from South America and the US, they could probably finally catch up. But I think the Chinese bid is going to be underneath the vegetable oil market for the foreseeable future through at least the end of, of 2020, 2021. Um, and so I think that's going to make it really difficult for cash vegetable oil prices around the world to come down and for um, soybean oil futures uh, to come down. Um, and it, it feeds into this, this puzzle that I was talking about earlier about if export demand remains strong and non-biofuel de demand remains strong and biofuel demand remains strong, sort of where do we get the soybean oil to meet all of that demand? Um, China is, is one of the, the key factors in, in figuring that puzzle out. Uh, and so that question will be something that I'm sure we'll come back to over the coming year. Um, Tori, do we have time for just a f two more questions? I know we're running sure. a little long. Sure, absolutely. Uh, so, and I don't know if you're the best to answer this one or we might have to take this one offline to another analyst, but there have been several renewable diesel projects announced coming online, one in particular in the Q2 of this year. Do you have any insights on whether they're on track to be on time or if there's any delay? Um, so the way that we, and I, uh, one, I'll, I'll kind of answer this the best that I can, and then we will follow up with somebody with whoever's asked this question to provide them more specific information. Um, and the way that I'll answer it is, is not a great way, but it's it's what I'll, I'll kind of say. We track all of these projects um, and the obviously the assumptions for when these facilities are going to open up um, and start producing is sort of the first step in building the demand side of uh, the biofuel forecast that we use or, or the vegetable oil demand side of the biofuels forecast. Um, and so we do two things. One, we, we get together once a quarter and we periodically go through um, all of the facilities and, and talk about when we think they're going to open and whether they're on track to open, when we're assuming they're going to open, and if there have been any other changes either in um, either in capacity or in, in our assumption for uh, feedstock mix. Um, 
from that perspective, we haven't made any significant changes in um, our forecast. So I would say generally just uh, without knowing the full details, I would say generally, yes, I think they are. Now, the other part of, of how, we, how we run that forecast is if somebody hears something either through the news or through discussions that they have with people in the industry about a facility that is um, going to either fall behind or open early or, or make any other kind of changes, then we try to catch that and incorporate that into our forecast as, as soon as we can. Like I said, I'm not aware of, of any of those kind of changes that have been made to our list recently, but it also, it's, it's been the holidays. And, um, and so there might be something that somebody knows that they haven't sort of incorporated or sort of sent down the chain. Um, but we will definitely follow up with uh, whoever's asked this question and let you know exactly what, uh, what we think. Okay, and Tori, the last question that we have time for, um, what is the outlook for waste feedstock prices in 2021? And could vaccines improve the supply, used cooking oil, et cetera, as restaurants would be more open more widely? It's funny that you asked this question because just before um, we started this, I was going through the used cooking oil um, balance sheet. Do you mind and, pulling that up, Tori, on your end? Uh, sure, sure, here. Um, and the thing that I was that I was looking at and sort of dealing with is this this non biodiesel usage. Um, it's it's obviously really low, um, and it's a it's a residual number, meaning that we get not necessarily for use cooking oil, but we get data for some of this other stuff. And then we subtract out the other demand and we end up with this number in any way. I was trying to sort of fix this number. That doesn't answer your question though. So as I was doing that, I was also looking at the forecast for um, production in 2021 in particular, um, because we had production coming back, but obviously not quite as high as 2019. And I started to think about, okay, now that we're starting to roll out the vaccines, I think that um, that, that production number probably will come up. I added a little bit to it today. I think I probably will do that um, as we see how the vaccine rollout goes. I may do that a little bit more. I don't think that we probably will get back to um, 2019 levels, obviously, because for 2019, we were, everything was fully open. Um, and for 2021, we're gonna start the year with, with some places closed, some places more open. Um, so I think that it, the situation will get better than it has been in 2020. Um, whether we get back to sort of full on everybody out at restaurants and everything by the end of 2021, um, that will just depend on the vaccine. One thing that I can talk about is, is my experience. So I live in Florida and Florida is, is one of the uh, states that's probably the most open. Um, and even given the surge that we've seen in cases here in Florida, um, people are at restaurants every night. Um, they have 
outdoor dining, obviously, and they have, I think, limited capacity indoor dining, but I think we have indoor dining as well. Um, and whether there's indoor dining or there's not indoor dining, what I can tell you is that the parking lots in these restaurants are literally packed. And so I think that once the um, once the efforts to slow the spread of the coronavirus end, either through we get back to warmer weather or um, the vaccine is finally distributed widely enough that uh, that health officials feel comfortable in, in suggesting that the economy reopens. Um, I think people will be back out uh, in droves in restaurants. I think there's probably a lot of pent up demand there. So in terms of, of the impact on prices, I guess what I could see is that um, you could have a situation where as we open back up, um, supply may, at least initially with this pent up demand, supply may really jump um, over a relatively short period and then kind of taper down a little bit as people have, you know, that hadn't gone out to restaurants for nine months, go out every night for two weeks and then kind of slow down and go back to going out once a week or whatever their, their pre-pandemic routine was. Um, so I think there could be some pressure on on prices in in that kind of situation. Obviously, uh, UCO prices are related to um, the other prices for low CI feedstocks, and so even if we get that kind of situation, I still think that uh, given the outlook for soybean oil and then the follow the the correlation between soybean oil and, and the other low CI feedstocks, I think UHO prices probably are going to remain really well supported. Um, if you are somebody that is an end user of UCO and you do get this kind of break where, you know, all of a sudden everybody's going out to a restaurant and so supplies are are suddenly, there's ample supply and, and prices break a little bit. Um, I would I would use that to try to extend coverage because I think that uh, certainly even if everybody is going out to uh, eat by the end of 2021 uh, with the amount of renewable diesel capacity that we think is coming online that prices could be substantially higher than um, than they are even now and and certainly. Um, than they might be if if we get a further rally into the summer and, and then a little break back, sort of like we're forecasting. Okay. Well, Tori, I think we went a little over, so appreciate that. Uh, attendees, uh, we'll follow up with some of these questions offline for those that had the specific questions. And uh, thank you for your time. And we will talk to you next week when we have Ryan Standard on to go over the low CI fats and oils. Thanks. All right. Thank you, Tori. Yep. Thanks, George. Thanks, everybody.